All right, guys, it's going to be uh, fun. Today we're going to talk about Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. The sermon is called, The Sufficiency is Real. The Sufficiency is Real. All right, what are your blanks? Wow, what are your blanks? I need blank. How would you fill in that blank? Maybe on the screen it shows, I need blank. How about, I want blank. Man, I feel empty. I feel lost. I wish blank. I wish I had blank. We all have blanks in our lives. These blanks are restless areas of our minds and our souls. And guys, I know you guys in here, and you guys know, we all basically understand that God is the only thing that's going to meet all of our cravings. Amen? Amen. So we can all go home, right? (laughs) Well, even though we understand that, maybe in our mind, understanding that truth doesn't really do much unless we have that truth in our hearts. We have to really have him satisfying our hearts, or it's not really doing us much good. That's why it's uncomfortable to go to church. Sometimes it's difficult to engage with God because he sees past our minds into our hearts, and our hearts are some pretty seedy joints to hang out. I asked if I asked you to search your hearts and find those blanks, find those restless areas, what would those be? If you could put a name on the things that you crave, what would those things be? What would that name be? You know, something we crave is lacking. Maybe it's our identity, maybe we want to be known as something, something that we judge as absolutely necessary to our lives is missing. Something is missing. Something that makes life worth living is mysteriously absent. And when we sense that that's gone, that, that's, that we don't have it, the result is agitation, anxiety, FOMO. You guys know what FOMO is? You don't know what FOMO is? Fear of missing out. I'm so young. I know what the hip kids talk about 10 years ago. Okay, so FOMO, fear of missing out, stress, etc. These are all the results. When we, when we get that sense that something is missing from our lives, And it's actually a really good thing to know that we're incomplete, to know that we're missing something. It's a good thing to be broken and empty. It gets us searching. It it plants a thirst and a hunger inside us that we are willing to chase. 
we really need to identify where we are feeling restless, where that restlessness is rooted in our hearts. You got it. You got to. You got to really look where. Why do I have this craving, this urging? Why do I want this? Why do I need that? What is going to fill the blanks of my life? Because we need to know why. We need to know where our hearts are hungry and thirsty because that's where we need Jesus the most in our lives. That's where we need his gospel to be applied like suntan lotion on that part of our life. That's where we need his grace. But our problem is that we generally try to fill those blanks with other things besides Jesus. Anyone know what we call those other things when we try to fill a blank with something besides Jesus? What do we call that? Idols. Man, you guys are well taught. Good job. (laughs) Even though Jesus has already promised and secured that one thing that you need most deeply, Jesus has already promised it. He's already bought it we turn to something else, and that's called idolatry. We turn to other things. Sometimes it doesn't feel like we're turning to something else. Sometimes it just feels like we're adding something to the gospel. Oh, no, I'm not turning my back on Jesus. I just need to add some way to medicate my pain. So we add medication to the Bible, to to Jesus. Sometimes we add relationships. We think, you know, we're going to add some relationships because we think that they'll turn out better than the last time. Sometimes we add or turn to religions that promise inner peace or philosophies that promise the same without God at all. You know, we call those self-reliant philosophies, self-sufficient philosophies. We turn to work, we turn to power, we turn to having a purpose in our lives. And not all these things are all bad. It's not bad to have a job. It's not bad to have, you know, to to consider philosophies. It's not all bad. But when we add these things to Jesus, when Jesus would be just fine all by himself, we we get a problem. Sometimes we add coolness. I need to be cool and a Christian. Sometimes we add self-improvement. Sometimes we add homeschooling. Sometimes we add politics or success or tradition. And all of these things can just easily become our idols, even though they might not be bad in and of themselves, even though they may be gifts from God. If we turn to those things before we turn to Jesus, we make them an idol. It's not their fault. It's our fault. We are just idol-making factories. That's what people are, idol-making factories. Things that we look to besides God to save us. That's what an idol is. So here's a test you can test yourself, okay? What can you not live without? If you lost it, 
life would be not worth living. Now we're getting close to what our idols are. You can flip it around, the test, and look at it positively. What am I living for? What am I truly living for? Like I said, most idols are good things, but good things are not ultimate things, and Jesus is an ultimate thing. Okay? Jesus claims to be ultimate. Jesus claims to be all we need. There's a philosophy out there that says, well, don't just, you know, you, don't just throw the baby out with the bathwater. Have you guys ever heard that phrase before? Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. That means, you know, maybe there's some bad things in this philosophy, in this uh, thing that we are part of or this thing that we do, but you don't have to throw the whole thing out. But Jesus says, in regards to you and your soul, I am all that you need, and please throw the baby out with the bathwater. You don't need anything else. You don't need anything else. It doesn't, mean, it doesn't matter if it's 10% good or 50% good or 99% good. You don't need anything except me. Jesus is the ultimate thing, all by himself, all by his onesies. He is the I am. He is the most high God, as we will see today. Why does Jesus need no help when it comes to your life? Because he is sufficient. That's what we're going to learn today. Jesus has come to set the captives free. He's come to be a complete savior, a savior from all the things that we idolize and even things we haven't even realized that we're idolizing yet. Jesus has come. He's coming after it all. He's going to chase you down. He will have his bride free from all things that does not satisfy her completely. And that's you. You're the bride of Christ. And Jesus does not want your heart to be taken with anything in this world except him. He is jealous for you. He is jealous for you. So let's read our text that we're going to study today in full just to start out. For Colossians 1.15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning and firstborn from the dead, and in that in all things he may have the preeminence. That word is a good summary of all that we're going to learn today. He, Jesus is preeminent, most important. Jesus is all-sufficient 
for all of your needs because it starts out in verse 15 by saying he is the image of the invisible God, by the way. Speaking of an invisible God, there was this Christian school once, and they had a pile of apples on a table with a note right by the apples that said, take only one, God is watching. And on the other side of the cafeteria, there was another table with a pile of cookies with a note put on it by one of the students. One of the students put a note by the cookies that said, Take all you want. God is busy with watching the apples. Verse 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That word in Greek, we get a Greek lesson today. You ready? Greek lesson, icon, E-I-K-O-N, icon is the word image. And that word means like the image of a coin or the reflection in a mirror. Or it could also mean a manifestation of something like with the sense that God is fully revealed in Jesus. So when it says he's the image of God, Paul meant that Jesus was not merely just similar to God, just like God, but he is the exact image of God. If he wanted to say he was similar to God, he would have used the word homoioma, which means similar in appearance. But he uses the stronger word because Paul knew that Jesus is God, just as God the Father is God. And it means that Jesus is the very stamp of God the Father. He is the very stamp of God. God is invisible, which is not, that does not merely mean that he can't be seen by our bodily eyes, but it means that he is unknowable. That's what invisible means. You can't sense him with your, any of your five senses. But God has given human beings alone, of all the animals in the, that he created, he gave human beings another organ by which we can sense God and know God and interact with God. Do you know what that organ is called? It's called your spirit. You have a spirit that is also invisible. Like God is invisible. Where is your spirit? Hmm. It's an interesting question. Jesus becomes the only way, wait, hang on, before I say that. In Jesus, the unknowable God becomes known and knowable by us. But only through Jesus. Only through him. He's the only way that we can have a relationship with an invisible God, an unknowable God. It's just through Jesus. I'm physical, I'm a human, I have a body and a mind and a soul, which means the mind, will, and emotions all put together, but I also have this spiritual, invisible part of me, and that's the part that needs to be filled and satisfied. That's the part that makes us crave. What do you crave? 
We crave God. That's the only thing that would ever satisfy us. Jesus becomes the only way that God can be known in my inward heart and invisible spirit. He creates a connection where God can fill us and we're in that place where we so desperately need, the place where we hunger, the place where we thirst in our spirit for life. No matter what the invisible thing is that we feel like we need, it's always Jesus that supplies that invisible thing to us. Paul goes on in our text and he says, He, Jesus, was the firstborn over all creation. Now that could be tricky. In fact, the Jehovah's Witnesses twist this verse and lie about it. Did you know that? Jehovah's Witnesses. They take this verse and they misunderstand it to mean that Jesus was created and they say that he was the first created thing by God. And that is totally a lie and totally a misunderstanding of what this means. It's completely false, okay? Firstborn in Greek means that he is the first in importance over all creation. Not that he was a part of creation, but he is more important than everything that was created. That's what Jesus is. That's what Paul is saying. It's not in creation. He says over creation. He's the firstborn over creation. This also means that anything in this creation cannot satisfy you the way that he can because Jesus is God. Oh, if only I had a million dollars. All the people with a million dollars will tell you it does not satisfy their souls, their spirit. You are a man. God's special creation made to be his counterpart. You were created only to be satisfied by God himself, and you will suffer greatly whenever you don't have God. That is what is so tragic about our world, about the fall, about the Garden of Eden, and about our own pursuit of happiness. We suffer so much needlessly because we don't have God. And it's so sad when God has made a way for, him, for us to have all of him filling us through what Jesus Christ has done. It's yours. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Jesus created everything, is what that verse says. So think back to Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Who did it? Jesus. He claims that he is the one that did it. He was the one who did the creating. He is the God of creation. All galaxies, all stars, all animals, insects, and minerals, all beauty that has ever been came from Jesus. Jesus is God. Jesus is the creator of all things. There is no other. There is one God, and he has a name, Jesus. 
And furthermore, God has chosen to reveal himself to all people through Jesus. Jesus not only created all things we can see, but here it says that he also created all the spiritual beings that we can't see. Those are called uh, the dominions, thrones, principalities, and powers. Those are spiritual entities, angels, and some angels have become fallen angels, and they all know who is really in control. All the angels know that it's Jesus. Jesus is not the brother of Satan that some stupid cults say. That is just absolute fallacy. They're not like two equal and opposites, yin and yang. It's Jesus is God, the creator of all spiritual beings. Jesus made Lucifer. He was a beautiful angel. He was the worship leader in heaven. And then he got so proud of himself And the moment he had pride and said in his heart, I want to be like God, he was cast out of heaven and became Satan, the the opposing force, trying to convince everyone else to worship him if God won't worship him. Jesus is the almighty and all-powerful God who also happens to be all-loving towards men, providing a savior when we desperately needed to be saved. All things were created through him and for him. Jesus is not a created being. He is God. He is self-existent. He cannot be created if he created all things. Very simple. He holds all things together by the word of his power. It's all about him and everything in this universe is for him. You know they have something in science called atomic glue. Have you ever heard of that? In other words, they don't know why atoms stay together. Atoms have positive and negative charges. They have things that should repel apart, but they're held together by some mysterious thing. And scientists say, it's called atomic glue. And you ask them, what is atomic glue? And they'll say, we don't know. And you can say, well, the Bible just told me It's Jesus, that he holds all things together. And we, in fact, know how the universe is going to end. The Bible says at the end that all things will dissolve in fire, which means very simply, Jesus will just simply stop holding all things together, and every atom in the entire universe will react in a nuclear reaction. And every atom in the universe will blow up. Kablow, kablooey. <laughs> That's how it's all going to end in the end. We'll be safe in a new creation. Don't worry about it. You'll be all right. But that's how it's going to end. Um, okay, so he's holding all things together. All things exist for him. That's just how it works. Yet he loves you with a passion that cannot be extinguished. Extinguished. He loves you. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. This means that everything points to him, and nothing matters outside of him. Did you really think you would hear something different than that at church? (laughs) Jesus is the only thing that matters? In church, you should hear that message. Oh, but my life has this, that, and the other problem. Yeah, it really doesn't matter that much. This is all about Jesus. We are going to exalt him, worship him, Praise him because 
It's all about him. And in fact, you will find your ultimate meaning, value, love, and joy in praising Jesus, being loved by Jesus, learning of Jesus, and drawing near to Jesus. That's where you will find everything that you need, that you want. Nothing matters outside of him. He is before all things, and it says that he is the beginning of all creation. Paul, centuries after Paul, there was a, a guy named Arius who came, and he was called uh, a heretic. Uh, and he said that Jesus was not truly God and that there was a time when he did not exist. Okay, that was a heresy that the church had to deal with. There's a bunch of people that started believing this. But Paul insisted, as when he wrote this, that Jesus is before all things, and he himself is the beginning. He is the beginning. And if Jesus existed before everything, then obviously Jesus is God and there is one true God. And it says this, our last little verse here says, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that in all things he may have the preeminence. Jesus in all things is preeminent or the most important Thing. Jesus has a grand plan for the universe, and his grand plan has him at the center and you by his side. You are involved in his grand plan for the whole universe. Have you ever stood outside and looked up at the stars recently? There are stars that are so beautiful, and they are so far away, and it just gives you this, you know, when you go camping or something, and you see just how many stars there are. And it just shows you how big God is. And yet, Jesus is the center of his plans. And you, to be by his side, is the totality of his plan. He wants to be united with you. Think about that word, united. Not the airline that you work for. But the unity of God with man. Or how he describes it here, a head with a body. That's how close and unified God wants to be with us. And that's what we become when we accept and receive what Jesus has done for us. We become as unified with him as a head is with a body. Do you go anywhere without your head? I know your mom says you do, but... He wants to lead you like a head leads a body. He wants to provide for you like a head provides for its body. Jesus is united to human beings through what's called the church. Those people in the world who have believed in him, that's what the church is. Those who have had their sins washed away by faith in his blood are instantly become members of his living body called the church. Jesus became a man and offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins so that we could become his church or his body. And Jesus rose from the dead to provide everything that we needed to prove that his sacrifice had been accepted by God. He now offers forgiveness and life to all the people in the world in every nation and culture Where does he input that life? Where does he give that life to you? In that invisible part called your spirit. He makes us alive in the spirit. 
Does he fix all of your problems? Does he fix all of your sicknesses? That's not the main part that he is pouring life into. He fixes your spirit first. He makes you, he fills that craving. He calms the restlessness inside you. That's his first and primary ministry to his body, making it healthy. So everyone who believes in him has been made part of his church. This is a group that makes him, that, um, that is really the most important thing in the world, the church is. It is a group of people that have found the peace. They have found their meaning through Jesus. And Jesus has become the center of their attention, the center of their life. All of their desires and cravings and restlessness have been answered in Jesus alone. And that is the only thing the world needs. More than everything else, more than food, more than peace, more than all the stuff that the world is worried about and thinks that they need. What they need more than all of that is all that Jesus would give them and is willing to give everyone for free. He wants to be the center of attention, the God of the universe, the all in all. That's what the God of creation wants. And that's what he will have. For you to find your value and meaning in him is his ultimate goal. He knows it's difficult. He knows that the world has a lot of tempting things, a lot of idols that we can turn to, but he wants you to find your value in him. He wants you to find your love in him. He wants you to be complete in him, to provide all that you would ever need like a head does for a body, like a husband does for a wife, like a father does for a son. No matter what analogy you want to use, he wants to be it for you. And he will not allow you to be deceived by anything else. And so what he does is he makes everything else in the world not satisfy you. Oh, that was so fun last night. Let's do it again. Oh, yeah, let's do it again. We did it again. Oh, that was not quite as fun as the night before, but it's still fun. Let's do it again. Okay, let's do it again. And you do it again and again. And God, in his gracious love, makes it less fun every time you do it. Yeah. Because he refuses, because he loves you, to let you have fun apart from him. To find your true joy and satisfaction apart from him. If he let other things satisfy you, that does not glorify Jesus. It glorifies things that have been created and even perverted. No, God says all glory goes to Jesus because he's the God of creation. So nothing will ever make you happy or satisfy you like Jesus. And the more you search for it, the more you try to get it, the more frustrated your spirit will become, the more restless you will feel. 
the more hopelessness you will be drowning in. And Jesus says to everyone who's in that state, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and what? I will give you rest. He will give us rest. I need, guys, we got to fill in that blank with what? Jesus. I want Jesus. He fills my emptiness. He finds me when I'm lost. Man, I wish I had Jesus. He wants to fill the blanks in your life, and he does. What do we need to be complete and okay in this life? One in one word, Jesus. What do we need to know our value and our meaning? Jesus. Not only do we need Jesus, but guys, this morning, you can have Jesus. He offers you all of himself with no reservations, no holding back till we deserve it. No partway salvation. And how does that work? It's very simple. We're going to read one last verse and we're done. Romans 10.10. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. But there is no, for there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is, over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The grand plan of God, of God, guys, is to save men through Jesus only. The grand plan of God is to heal men and meet our needs through Jesus only. And here's the last thing. We need to turn away from all our idols and truly call upon Jesus with all of our hearts. The only reason we suffer restlessness is because we're trying to plug something else where God wants to be God. So he says simply just confess that you do that and believe that he instead is sufficient. Say, God, I'm sorry for trying to fill up my soul, my spirit with other things besides you. I confess it and I'm sorry. And instead, I'm going to believe that Jesus is preeminent, that Jesus is sufficient, and that Jesus is real and all that I need. Father, we pray that you would fill us with all of your fullness as you have promised to do. God, we could easily turn to so many other things. We could um, believe that that you are just part of the solution. But God, that would be selling you short. That would be not glorifying our Father in heaven and not glorifying the creator God, Jesus Christ, who is all in all and who is preeminent over all things. Jesus, our life is nothing without you. And Lord, we lay down all our dreams, we lay down our aspirations, we lay down our plans for you. To know you is our only goal. To honor you and to worship you is why we have been created. 
And Lord, we desire to turn our back on all other things. We will not add to what you have done, for what you have done is complete, it is sufficient, it is perfect. Who you are is complete, sufficient, and perfect. Lord, we need nothing else besides you. So Lord, as we, as we take some time and, and um, pour out our hearts to you and allow you to pour out your heart into us, your life into us, God, help us to truly be your church and be connected to you in, in every way that you desire. Lord, empty us, empty us of all sinful desires. Empty us of all sinful um, thoughts and fill us with all that you are perfect and glorious. Lord, I pray that during communion, Lord, we would celebrate who you are, we would unite to you, knowing what you have done for us. And I pray that you'd help us to celebrate the rest of the day as we uh, eat together and we baptize believers according to your word in obedience to you, God, that you would just rejoice with us and give us an internal joy in our hearts and satisfaction that cannot be measured and cannot be faked. A real joy. That's what we claim as our birthright, as being sons and daughters of the Most High, giver of joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.